0: The was it the priest who was actually con- conducting it? You were in the room with him, and you were kind of like, "What am I getting myself into?" But you mentioned what was interesting is you mentioned that he was doing all of these different things. He like brought in a, a paper towel roll. He brought in a little bag, and he like set it on the the radiator. And he was just like prepared for all these things to happen, like foaming at the mouth. He just like blotted it out a little bit, put it in the in the little plastic bag. But he throughout this what he was doing, you mentioned remembering that he just had no fear. Is that is that something that eventually, like, were you fearful in that moment? And
1: if so, is that something that's gone away over, the, over time? Absolutely. I think fearful at the beginning was natural, just to see things that aren't a normal part of your everyday life. You know, again, in that case, the person, once the demon manifested, the eyes rolled in the back of their head, it began foaming at the mouth, and so looking at that, that is kind of fearful because I had just been speaking with this person and there was no indication that there was a demonic presence. And then when the priest who was training me, after he brought in the plastic bag and the paper towels, he came in and began the ritual of the church. And when he blessed the person with holy water, as soon as the water hit that person is when the demon manifested. So there was kind of a growling and snarling and that's when the The foaming at the mouth began in the eyes, and I think my eyes might have gotten really big as well, thinking, what in the world have I gotten myself into? And certainly over the years, you know, I've come to not focus on the manifestations of evil. Because when a demon manifests, it's basically saying, look at what I'm capable of doing. And the exorcist is trained to focus on what God is doing in this particular prayer of the church. The priest who trained me had been an exorcist for 25 years when I was receiving training from him, which is why I think he was unfazed by all of this. And over the years I've come, you know, everyone's always interested in the manifestations. It always brings a lot of attention. People like to hear those Mm -hmm. stories. But an exorcist will tell you the focus is really on the power of God that is at work in this particular prayer of the church.
0: So of all the exorcisms that you've been a part of, which one that you think back to still sort
1: of gives you chills when you think about it? I would say it was the very first one that I was involved in after returning from Rome in 2006. So I began working with a lady who uh, it was determined that there were seven demons identified in her. And she shared with me the story that she believed that a friend of hers was possessed so out of a misguided sense of charity, she went up to her, looked her in the eye and said, what's ever in you, I freely invite to come in to me. And then she felt a presence come over her. And then she turned to the church 12 years after this event. And then in working with her, these, tw- uh, these seven different demons named themselves. The weakest of the demons are always the first to go. The one that's of a more dominant nature is always the weakest to go. And this one particular demon told me its name was the demon Leviathan, which is a demon mentioned in the Bible. And the demon told me it did not have to leave because it had been invited in. And because it had been invited in, it was making a claim on the life of this person. And so I worked with this lady over the course of one year before she was finally liberated from uh, all the demonic presence in her life.
0: Uh, so in this case, how did you determine that she was possessed rather than suffering some kind of like serious
1: mental illness? She she went to see a psychiatrist who gave me a written report. I required her to go see her family doctor just to rule out that there wasn't some physical cause. So there is a, a protocol used in the United States for us to uh, determine whether or not this is truly demonic. So step one, go see a a mental health expert. Step two, see your family doctor. Step three, I would look for signs of the demonic that the church has identified. There are four signs. The ability to speak and understand languages otherwise unknown to the individual, uh, superhuman strength beyond the normal capacity of the individual, having elevated perception, knowledge about things a person should not otherwise know, and then an aversion to anything of a sacred nature such as being blessed with holy water, being shown a crucifix, having the Bible placed on your head during a prayer. So all of these could be indications of demonic presence. Step four is I have a questionnaire. The Vatican has put out a questionnaire that the exorcist can use to determine if this truly is demonic, then what was the entry point? Some examples of questions would be, uh, have you ever been involved in the occult? Have you been... uh, you know, engaged in satanic practices or rituals, witchcraft or magic? What types of books or literature do you read? So again, the church is trying to determine if this is demonic, where did the entry point come from? Step five, very significant, help the person resume their normal spiritual life or to help them create that for the very first time. So again, because the church wants to vo- move in a very methodical Process, exorcisms are never done hastily or quickly. I always remind people that there's no such thing as an emergency exorcism. When they're done too hastily is usually when things get out of hand. Maybe the person really was dealing with a mental health issue, but because the priest moved too quickly, then the person was led to believe that this was truly something of a demonic nature. So again, the church wants to move. In a very methodical way to give the person the true help that they need,
0: something interesting you mentioned in the book again is that demon possession is not like contagious, so a lot of people are afraid that if a demon comes out of somebody it's just gonna go into someone else like nearby. would Would you mind dispelling that myth and then some of the other myths about exorcisms?
1: Yeah, we should never give demons more credibility than they deserve. So a demon cannot just jump out of one person into another. That might make for a great movie, but it's just not reality. One would have to create an entry point for evil into their lives. People can do that directly when they're engaging in practices that can open up a doorway to evil. Indirectly when they're involved in things they think are fun or entertaining, but in reality could be opening up an entry point you began by talking about some facts about Halloween. So Halloween may be fun and entertaining for most people, but it is possible that by doing some of the activities associated with Halloween, people could be opening up an entry point for evil into their lives. So demons are still creatures. They're not, you know, we should never put a demon and God on the same playing field. There's always a difference between God who, God who is the creator and a demon that is a fallen angel, but still a creature of God. So the creature can never be on equal footing with God the Creator. What are some other myths about exorcisms? Uh, I always jokingly say that uh, they're never performed in an abandoned house on a dead-end street during an electrical storm. That might make (laughs) for a great movie, but again, the Church will always determine where an exorcism will take place. So the devil doesn't get to determine where he will be defeated. So exorcisms are always done in a sacred space. So in a church or in a chapel, the person who's possessed is present. Myself, a family member, a friend of the possessed. I will invite another priest or perhaps a a deacon, a lay person. So there could be someone there, but they're there just to pray. There's no such thing as exorcism tourism, so nobody's there out of a sense of curiosity because when a demon manifests, it will try to determine who's the weakest link in the room and then try to disrupt the prayer of the church by either physically or even verbally attacking the person, again, trying to take control of this particular prayer of the church. Exorcisms can be repeated over and over again. It's not always one and done. But each time an exorcism is is performed, even though the person may not achieve total liberation, it does provide them some benefit. An exorcism is not magical. You know, the things that the priest will use, holy water, a crucifix, you know, there's no power in those things. They always point to something greater. Jesus is the exorcist. He's not a bystander during this prayer of the church. He is the main actor. So I don't have any powers or abilities. If we're relying on me just as who I am as a person, we're all in trouble. But if we're relying on the power and the authority of Christ that he's given to his church and that is uh, displayed through his ministers, that's the right uh, mentality to have. Exorcisms can be performed on non-Catholics. More than half the people who contact me are not Catholic. They come from other faiths traditions christian faith traditions other world religions and sometimes no religious background whatsoever but exorcism is a ministry of the church so the church will help anyone who turns to her because again a ministry of charity it's a ministry of compassion so i think a lot of people are are probably
0: at least the people that are watching this stream right now a lot of you are skeptical about demon possession and about demons in general how would you convince somebody, or what, what would you say to somebody who's just skeptical about the whole thing? Like, maybe you're just making these stories up to, to get attention. Yeah.
1: Well, it depends on the, where one begins. You know, if you're a person of faith, believing is seeing. If you don't really have that faith, then you say seeing is believing. So it's coming at it from two different angles. But again, the basis I would have is what the church has consistently taught throughout you know, the church's 2,000-year-old history is that evil is something personified in what we call the devil and these other fallen angels. No, evil is not just humanity's inhumane treatment of one another. It's not just something of our own making, but there is something personified in evil, again, that we call the devil and evil spirits. And the church has consistently taught that throughout her history, and it's backed up by sacred scripture. Well then, tell me. Tell me another. Uh,
0: so, so, you've been part of some exorcisms that, when when these people are possessed, and the what's well, really the demon, if 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 there is such a thing as demon possession, it's the demons that are doing these sort of supernatural things. And the four criteria that you mentioned, what's an example of someone explicitly exemplifying or a demon exemplifying one of those one of those things? Supernatural uh, knowledge or power or knowing some language or even levitating i've seen stories about levitation you, mm-hmm. tell me us some some of these stories that you've seen
1: personally what's well, important to know that a demon can act on a person's memory and imagination so the real challenge is when these manifestations begin the demon is really working on the mind of those who are there the memory and imagination so are these things truly happening or is the demon causing myself and others to believe that what we see is real which again is why exorcists are trained not to focus on these things but you're right some of the examples of manifestations we mentioned a few eyes rolled in the back of the head foaming at the mouth exhibiting superhuman strength I've seen demons manifest and pick up items like a a metal swivel desk chair with just one hand lifted over their head The person that did this didn't even weigh a hundred pounds, speaking languages otherwise unknown, speaking in Latin or in ancient Greek. Uh, Other examples would be uh, slithering on the ground like a snake. Again, all of these things are meant to instill fear. I personally witnessed someone levitate. People have shared stories about once the demon manifests, it crawls up the wall like a spider. So again, these things are all meant to instill fear. And one of the things you said is very important. The distinction must always be made between the person as an individual and the actions now of the demon once they've taken over the person's body, treating that body as if it were its own. So exorcists are trained to make the distinction between the person as someone created in the image and likeness of God and now the demon that is treating that body as if it were its own. Let's talk about the the philosophy
0: behind demon possession. How how can something like that be possible? How can a spiritual being take over a physical being and make them do things? How is that possible?
1: Well, nothing happens in the demonic world that God does not permit, and that's true of all reality. You know, God permits many things to happen. Doesn't mean that that's. God desires them to happen, but God does permit things to happen. So why would a demon be interested in possessing a human body? And the answer is at the very core of Christianity. The greatest thing that God ever did for us is the incarnation took on human form in the person of Jesus Christ. So the devil or some other demon who wishes to mimic God in each and every way believes that he takes on human form by possessing a human body. And when they possess the human body, it's using the person's voice to speak, their hands to give gestures, their feet to walk. But again, once the demon takes over, then all of the actions are now wholly defined by the demon itself. So well, the question is, how does that happen?
0: How can a spiritual being like a demon actually take possession over somebody and make them do things? like? Is it, do they implant themselves in, in the soul? Is it the, like, is it neurons that they're fiddling with? What What is that actually, ha- what, what is happening?
1: It's not in the soul. There can be no actual connection between a human soul and a, uh, and a demon. So it's always of a physical nature. And that comes about, goes back to what we touched on earlier, is someone is creating an entry point whereby they are, are inviting a demon into their life. You know, a a demon, as a pure spiritual creature, doesn't occupy time and space as we do. You know, you're in a room right now, I'm in a room, the room is containing us. A spirit isn't contained by space, it contains the space. Now that can kind of give you a headache to think about it for a moment, but as a pure spirit with intellect and will is not contained by space, it contains the space. So when one chooses to open up an entry point to evil into their life, it literally is that now the evil spirit is containing them. They've either pushed God away and invited the demon now to uh, contain them, and that's how the manifestations then will begin and take place. So it's a physical. So it's a, an analogy I was thinking about was it be like a, a
0: demon coming in and like pushing the person out of the driver's seat into the passenger seat. And then the demon sits in the driver's seat and starts driving the the car, so to speak. And the car is the analogy of the body. Something like that?
1: Yes. And when that happens, people I've worked with, some are fully aware of what's taking place. But they feel as if they're a prisoner trapped in their own body. Uh, They're incapable of stopping what's taking place. Other people I've worked with have told me that once the demon took over, they lose all recollection of what was taking place.
0: Let's think about some other natural explanations of what could have happened in these cases. So when you, you mentioned the levitation, what could have been happening there that is not supernatural?
1: Do you know what it I mean? So like, go ahead. I was going to say it could have been just something that I believe that I was seeing because at the time the person was shaking very violently, and then I saw them rise up out of the chair, and then that's when the priest reached over and put his hand on the head of the person, and push them back in the chair. Now, there was another priest in the room, and we talked about it later, but he didn't see it. So I saw it. He didn't. Obviously, the priest doing the exorcism witnessed something to reach over and push the person back down into the chair by putting their hand on their head. What about the, so, and, the one where the, the person grabbed the table, the steel table, and raised it above their head with one hand? Yeah. Well, again, were you, that's were you the only my, one there? That was the uh, no. There, I would never do an exorcism alone. Okay. So there's always other people that are present. Certainly, myself. I will have somebody else with me, and then the person that's possessed, and then a family member or friend. So it's it's never a one on one setting. And so there were other people in the room that saw this person grab this table
0: above their head. Yes. Yep. And there was no way they could have done that on their own volition.
1: Not from the, uh, the physical capacity of the person. It would have just been impossible. Unless I guess you could say that their adrenaline was just on such a rush and a high that at that moment they just were able to do something beyond their normal human capacity. But again, it's important to remember that leading up to the point of doing the exorcism, The person has gone through a psychiatric evaluation. They've gone through the physical evaluation. And these experts have said, we can't explain what is happening in the life of the person. If one were to go through, because you know some people that are dealing with uh, mental health issues, schizophrenia, they can act out some of the very same symptoms that we would see in people who are demon-possessed. So you so want to again,
0: out those possibilities first.
1: Exactly right. Now, what's interesting, right, I, worked, I was going to say I worked with a gentleman one time who was diagnosed as being schizophrenic. He didn't necessarily like it, so he talked to a priest who then referred him to me, and I met with him, and I told him this was not something demonic. This was truly something of a mental health issue. He already had a psychiatrist and a, a caseworker that was assigned to him. And I just didn't want to say, ah, you know, it's not demonic, be on your way. So I arranged a meeting for the four of us. So me and him, his psychiatrist and caseworker, and the psychiatrist says to the man, Father says you're not possessed. What is your response? And his response was rather interesting from my point of view. He said, I'm disappointed. He said, if it was a demon, I would understand why I act the way that I do. He looked at the psychiatrist and said, you can tell me that I'm schizophrenic, but you you can't tell me why. He goes, if it's the devil, I have my why. So there are some people, again, who want it to be something demonic. But again, I can't tell people what they want to hear. I have to tell people what I believe they truly need to hear. You know, either, yes, this is truly something demonic, based on my understanding, my training, my education, or no, this is truly something of a mental health issue, or of a physical nature that needs to be addressed by a psychiatrist or your family doctor. I I appreciate the fact that you are wanting, and not just you, but just
0: priests everywhere who are doing exorcisms. I appreciate the fact that you go that route first. You want to rule out all of these other possibilities. As you said in the book, it's like 1 out of 5,000 people are actually classified as demon-possessed. And so for (laughs) the vast majority of people, 499 4,999 people, you're pointing them to the relevant experts who are trained to handle mental health issues or drug abuse or whatever else they might be dealing with. You're not going to, and as you said, you even said that like some people, some priests will get a little bit too quick to diagnose demon possession and then things can just get worse from there. So I appreciate the fact that you, you do that. And so that's, that's
1: really good. So I have one more question that I want to ask you. 1960s, it was in 1972, Pope Paul began to speak about the devil. You know, popes have a general audience every Wednesday. And when he began doing that at his general audience, I think he caught people off surpri- by surprise because most people just figured that the church no longer even talked about the, the reality of the devil. But I always like to put it in a Christian perspective. If Jesus is a name that means God saves, what is he saving us from? It can't just be from a bad day. I would go on to say that he's saving us from something real and something evil, namely uh, the devil himself and his demons. All right, let's get to some audience Q&A
0: here. We've got one question from John Bass, I believe. He yep. says, if Jesus and the apostles conducted exorcisms with relative ease, why are Catholic exorcisms so drawn out?
1: Not all of them are drawn out. I would say there's always, I've done exorcisms that are done in like 30 minutes or less. Some that are take longer. I think it depends on the strength of the, the demon. It depends on whether or not the person truly wants liberation. And it's not just about wanting liberation. The person has to be able or wanting to invite Christ in. I will say that I've learned over the years that there seems to be a difference between exorcisms performed in what I would call the pagan world, so someone who's never heard the good news of Jesus Christ, and in the apostate world, someone who's heard the good news of Christ, but now they've turned their back on him. You know, we live in the Western world where many people who grew up in traditional Christian homes are no longer practicing their faith. It's my experience that the devil seems to have a greater control over these people because... They heard the good news, they had a relationship with Christ, and then they walked away from it. I traveled to South Africa three years ago, and uh, while I was there, performed some exorcisms, and while there, people who had never heard of Christ, never been baptized, when the exorcisms were performed, they were immediate and effective. So I make the distinction between what I would call exorcisms in the pagan world and the, in the apostate world. And I would say that here in the Western world, here in the United States, I would classify us as the apostate world, meaning we've really walked away from our Christian underpinnings. So I,
0: every now and then I like to mention
1: on the on the live stream that the reason why
0: you're seeing the lights behind me change colors is when people send in a super chat, depending on how much they send in. So if it's $5, I think it turns green or yellow or that you can change the color of the lights behind me by seeing in a super chat to make it a little bit more interactive. So I only mention that because a lot of people are are asking, why do the lights behind you change? It's because you guys are interacting and and making them change, basically. So here's the next question from the Jason909. It says, Father Lampert, what would you say is the correlation between psychiatric diagnoses, schizophrenia, and disassociative identity, and possession? The correlation between the two? Mm
1: Mm-hmm. So the question would be, I guess, as I hear that is, is it always demon possession? Would it always be a psychiatric diagnosis? Is it possible that both are at play at the same time? Hmm. You know, did a person experience some type of demonic episode that caused the mind to fracture as a way to compensate and try to understand what was taking place? So again, that is such a very complex area which is why, again, why the Catholic Church turns to professionals in the mental health field helping us to make the distinction. Because if truly, if one is dealing with a mental health issue, they have a psychiatric diagnosis, if medication helps the condition, then that would be an indication that this truly is of a mental nature. If it's truly of a demonic nature, then the medication would have no effect whatsoever. And have you seen that happen, where someone who is legitimately
0: demon-possessed was treated with all sorts of drugs and it never helped, and then when you t- performed an exorcism, it helped them immediately?
1: Yes, absolutely, yep. Wow. And that, some of the examples would be the uh, former exorcist of Indianapolis, when he would go to the um, the mental hospital across the street from his parish to visit some of the residents there. He believed that some of the residents were actually demon-possessed, but because society didn't know what to do with them, they were just classified as having some type of psychiatric diagnosis in place in that institution. The challenge would be that as a priest, it's difficult for me to try to find people in the mental health field that are at least open to the possibility that this is something of a spiritual nature. Many of the people, in my experience, in the mental health field We'll just immediately discount this as even a possibility. Yeah, and don't you think that, that that plays in the in the hand of the of the devil?
0: Yeah. Well certainly like most because, people most people don't think that this is real and so they're not gonna go get checked out or consider it as a serious possibility. And so you might have this person just possess
1: their entire life when they could have been freed a long time ago. Yeah that that's a classic line from a the French poet Baudelaire out of the seventeenth century the devil's cleverest ruse is to convince us that he does not exist. You know, the devil doesn't really want to be out in the limelight. He prefers to work in the shadows and on the fringes, you know, and you conquer people one by one. And again, if people don't believe that he exists, then he can certainly just continue to work a kind of uh, under the radar, so to speak.
0: All right, let's get to some more questions. From Punch Bowl Haircut, he says, are there... Are there ways that demons afflict people without possessing them? If so, what are they, and is there anything one can do to combat them?
1: So the Catholic Church would identify three other types of extraordinary demonic activity. So we focused a lot on possession. There could be demonic infestation, the presence of evil in a location, or associated with an object. There can be demonic vexation, so one is receiving physical attacks from a demon, and there can be demonic obsession, which are mental attacks from a demon. So in my experience, again, one out of every 5,000 people may be a true case of demonic possession. There are many cases that involve infestation, where I'm asked to go and and offer a special prayer or blessing in a house or an office or some other location. Uh, Vexation, praying with people that believe they're being physically attacked. This would mean uh, there would be uh, bruises, marks, bites, scratches. One of the examples you might see in Hollywood movies where incisions of letters will appear on a person's body for a period of time and then they'll they'll recede. That would be an example of demonic vexation. Demonic obsession, a person has persistent thoughts of evil that go through their mind, meaning every experience is filtered through the presence of The devil or some demon. Somebody gets fixated on believing they see the number 666 everywhere. They start believing that they're hearing noises, you know, that the devil is out to get them, that type of thing. I will say that I believe that demonic obsession is the most difficult type of extraordinary demonic activity to deal with, even more difficult than demonic possession itself. Because in demonic obsession, again, You're really trying to pull apart what is truly something of a psychiatric nature and what's something of a spiritual nature. And that can get so complicated because, again, is it always uh, something demonic? Is it always something psychiatric? Or are the two at play at the same time? So just trying to pull that apart can be very, very, very difficult. But ultimately, you know, anybody that turns to the church you know, even though an exorcism may not be called for, uh, or it may not be called for right away, simply to pray with the person, to pray with somebody. Because ultimately an exorcism, at its very core, is a special prayer. It's a prayer asking God to bring relief into the life of the person who is suffering. Okay, let's
0: get to another question from Jeff. He says, could a demon leave the possession on their own? Could something like drinking inhabilitates someone to allow demon possession only for a time?
1: So when one is possessed, it doesn't necessarily mean that the demon is manifesting all the time. To be possessed means that someone has created an entry point for the demonic in their life, so there's a connection now between that person as an individual and some evil spirit. And so the connection is there, but it doesn't mean that the manifestation always takes place. It is possible that someone who is demon possessed doesn't necessarily need the right of exorcism just through growing in holiness and virtue. They could uh, help eradicate that on their own. So if somebody is demon possessed, again, they're not manifesting all the time. They could have a desire to turn to God, to have a relationship with Christ, And in doing so, simply by growing in holiness and virtue, that connection between the individual and the demon could come to an end. So the intervention of an exorcist is not always called for. All right, question from Cliff Wilson. He says, what does Father Lampert
0: think of the movie Deliver Us From Evil? Has he seen it?
1: I have not seen that particular movie. I don't know if you you can comment on that or give me some background into that, but I'm not familiar with that. What exorcism movie ha- have you seen? Obviously The Exorcist, the one that came out in the 1970s, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, uh, the movie The Right. do so, they get anything right in those movies? The Exorcism of Emily Rose actually is uh, pretty authentic when it comes to the manifestations of evil and how the church combats that. So they're not that far off. Again, the church focuses on what God is doing, even though most people are always interested in the manifestations. But a lot of things are true to form.
0: Interesting. Okay, another question from Benjamin Vance. He says, how often do you think ghost stories, etc., are actually demonic? Is there such a thing as a ghost, or is it either imagined or demonic?
1: I believe that 99% of the time, when people say they're encountering some type of a ghost, that it's uh, an evil spirit. 1% of the time, it might be the soul of one who has died. But it's important to note that once we die, we cannot choose to continue to act in this reality. God has to permit that to happen for whatever reason God may have. So God would have to allow that to happen. And it may simply be that The spirit of the one who's died, God is permitting to manifest, to bring some type of comfort into a loved one who's grieving the loss of a loved one who's died. I knew a lady one time whose grandson had died, and she shared with me that for like five days straight, he would visit her every night and sit on the end of the bed and talk with her. And she told me that after the fifth night, he told her that he had to go on. He couldn't come back anymore, but he had to go where God wanted him to be. So in that case, we would say that that was a particular grace that God permitted for whatever reason. Secondhand smoke doesn't stay at home or keep a safe distance. It flows freely, spreading lung-damaging particles to even our most treasured spaces. Let's take care of ourselves and each other. God had to bring some type of relief or sense of peace in the life of this lady who was grieving the loss of her grandson. All right,
0: here's a question in this the, the name of this you, this YouTube account is one of the funniest I've seen. He says Morgan Freeman's favorite freckle. <laughs> All right, he says, he says have you ever experienced a case where a demon behaved like a normal person so as to fool those around it?
1: Yes, I have. That's a very one good of those one of the exorcisms in Rome. So in Rome, I was able to participate in 40 exorcisms. And uh, How long were you there? Three months.
0: Three months. in four, 40 exorcisms in three months.
1: Well, the priest did more than that. He was oh, well-known in Rome. But during the time I was there, I was on a sabbatical program. So that was the amount of time that I had to go and be with him two or three days a week. He literally would have... 50 or 60 people at a time gathered in a courtyard outside of his office. Some had appointments, some didn't. They were just hoping to get an opportunity to visit with him. But in one of those exorcisms, the demon stopped manifesting, and it it gave the impression that the consciousness of the individual was now back. And uh, Father Carmine, the priest who trained me, he was aware that he was trying to be duped because the person's voice was their own. It sounded like their voice and said, I'm okay now. Thank you for what you've done for me. The demon is now gone. There's no need for you to continue to pray. You can stop praying now. You can stop praying. I said you could stop praying. And then Father Carmine reached over and took some holy water and blessed the person again. And then the demon manifested and goes, I told you to stop praying. Yeah. So he knew that the demon was trying to deceive him into believing that it had been cast out. And I think exorcist over time, the more you do the ministry, you gain more knowledge about whether or not true deliverance has taken place at a particular time or not. Wow. All
0: right, question from Joe Sharp. Jesus said, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Why is this so, and have you experienced
1: this? That is true. Jesus did say that. The disciples came back from going out and doing ministry. And the question was asked, why could they not cast a particular demon out? And Jesus says, this kind can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. So one who does an exorcism needs to prepare themselves. So as a Catholic priest, the church says that I should prepare myself by spending time in prayer. I should fast. I would celebrate mass. I would go to confession, spend time in prayer. So I have to prepare myself because, again, the exorcist is a minister of Christ. So we're bringing the presence of Christ to one who is afflicted by the evil one. And so it is that presence of Christ that we want to bring. If we're bringing our own presence full of sinfulness and everything else, then we're certainly not going to be effective in combating the evil that's present in the life of a person. So again, prayer and fasting are disciplines of the church that allow the exorcist to be truly disposed to carry out this particular ministry. I'm noticing in the live chat that people are talking about Harry
0: Potter would you say that Harry Potter is okay for a Christian to watch, or does it involve things? Would it open someone to demon possession?
1: People have to realize that certain types of literature, like Harry Potter, are catechetical in nature. So they're trying to teach something such that, e- that magic is not evil. I, I believe that all magic is inherently evil. And I don't mean an illusionist, somebody who's making, doing a card trick or pulling a rabbit out of a hat. That's an illusionist. But true magic at its core is inherently evil. So I think certain books like Harry Potter are trying to present evil as something good. And what's interesting about it is that many young people today will pick up a a book on magic or Harry Potter book, but when's the last time they picked up the Bible? So my response today would be, Can you just tell young people not to read these books? Probably not. But I think people who read them need to filter that through their Christian faith. So if you're going to read these types of books or watch the movies, then you should be able to filter them through your faith and to say, this is why this is or is not consistent with my Christian faith. So it could be a teaching moment for parents and their children So children are watching the movies or reading the books to be able to sit down with them and say, let's look at this through the lens of our Christian faith and our relationship with Christ and say, why is this consistent or inconsistent? Hmm. All right, just a couple more questions from
0: Andrew Owen. He says, what happens to a person's soul if they die while possessed?
1: Well, the person's soul always remains free, and when someone dies— because the connection is physical, then that connection will come to an end. So something of the person always remains free. Sometimes people will say, if one is possessed, how could they ask for help? Well, again, the part that remains free can ask for the help of the church. And if somebody dies, then certainly the connection between that person and the demon will will end as well.
0: All right. Question from Carl Hanna. He says, "It seems like in Luke, uh, yeah, it seems like in Luke 9:49, Christ is giving the office of exorcism even to those who are not accompanying, accompanying Christ and His disciples. What is your view on this passage, Father Vince?"
1: I think that's a clear indication again that as long as somebody is operating within the uh, using the power and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ, again it goes back to what I said earlier the uh, The Catholic Church does not have a monopoly on the practice of exorcism, and it's Christ Himself who's doing the exorcism
0: through the minister
1: or through the person who truly believes. One of the analogies that I like to use is that uh, you know, think of a room that's you know, I don't know, infested by cockroaches. If you walk into the room and turn on the light, what happens to the roaches? they start crawling for every crook and crevice. So in an exorcism, what is the light that's being turned on is the light of Jesus Christ, which is causing the demons to flee. So as long as someone, again, using that reference to Luke 9.49, if someone is operating under the authority and the power of Christ, they have that level of faith, then certainly uh, an exorcism could take place.